listening to Conversations with Scholars. This section of the podcast is dedicated to the stories of marginalized bodies in academia. This is inspired by Black feminist sociologist Jacques Alexander and political activist Angela Davis. Davis notes the importance of how histories never unfold in isolation, and we cannot fully know our own histories without better knowing the stories of others. So let's learn each other's stories and follow a process of retelling, revising, reflecting, and relaunching. Today's discussion is with Nancy Tenorio Spock, a PhD candidate in comparative literature at the University of Maryland College Park, specializing in Afro-Mexican literature and culture in Oaxaca, Mexico, and the United States Southwest. She is currently a guest lecturer in the American Studies program at Eberhard Karls University of Tübingen in Tübingen, Germany. Over at the American Studies program at Eberhard Karls University of Tübingen, she has taught courses that intersect Native American and African American literature, as well as courses on Afro-Mexican literature. Tell us a little bit about yourself, so if you can introduce us, um, what your research is, your track to graduate school, and um, yeah, start off there. Okay, so well, obviously my name is Nancy Tenorio Spock. I am a PhD candidate in the Comparative Literature Program, and I specialize in the African diaspora in Mexico. Uh, like I've said in, um, I think, yeah, since you were at the GEO conference, this is a project that is very dear to my heart. I am Afri- Afro-Mexican myself. My family is from the Costa Chica. And as I was studying Mexican-American literature and just American literature in general, I saw that there was this big gap, that the, the Mexico's African heritage was not discussed in Chicano works or Mexican-American works. And then if it was discussed, it was discussed as a history that was no longer present. Um, like, for example, Jose Vasconcelos and his work. Uh, what is the name of the work again? Um, I'm forgetting the name of the work right now. I'm I'm blanking out. La Raza Cosmica. La Raza Cosmica by Jose Vasconcelos, published in the 1920s, I believe. He did refer to Africans uh, as a people who had just been absorbed into the Mexican national body that they had become so mixed that there was no telling them apart uh, or seeing them as authentic, genuine Black people. So thank you for sharing that. How did you decide um, to get into that? Did it start off in like undergrad or were you influenced by something? Um, Mm -hmm. Or I know it's always so many different factors. It's never like only one. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. So I actually, I wasn't really sure of what I wanted to major in when I started. I just knew I wanted to continue going to school because I had a, I really like school. Unlike any, unlike most of my peers, I actually like school. I loved going to school. I love learning. I love <laughs> hanging out with my teachers. And 
I asked my teacher, well, what's next after this? What's next after high school? Because I had actually a certified nursing assistant certificate. So I actually had already job training. I could just get out of high school and get a job. But I didn't want to work in the hospital. I was like, oh, my God, being a CNA sucks. This sucks. <laughs> like, the hours are long. And it's very, like, physically demanding work. And I, I went to community college for two years. I did pre-med. I left that and I said, you know what, I have to be true to myself and study English literature. So I actually started off with the, um, like Henry, I started off really loving um, Walt Whitman. Uh, I think his name is Henry David Thoreau or Mm-hmm. I'm forgetting his name. Yeah. So I, I really love these writers. I really love them. I their their style of writing was just so clear. And later I, I learned that, you know, it, it fit within the certain um coming of age, like America coming of age, finding defi- finally defining itself as a, as this country. Uh, but I didn't see myself in this literature. I didn't see myself in this literature. And so I said, you know what? Let me try Chicano studies. So then I went to Chicano studies. I read Gloria and Saldua. I read uh, all the all the plays by Luis Valdez. I read like the Chicano Reader, which is a big fat anthology. But still, I said, where are the representations of Afro-Mexicans? And so I thought, okay, maybe this is just a question of colorism. Maybe there's some colorism that we have to deal with within the Mexican-American community. But then once you go down that hole of colorism, you realize that it's not colorism, it's anti-blackness. There is anti-blackness in Mexico and um, that it that undergirds how we teach Mexican American history, how we understand Mexican American literature. And so all of that is there. Whether we we are aware of it, whether we're intentionally doing it, like I don't think any of my teachers went into the classroom saying we're intentionally going to be anti-black. This is just the way that it has traditionally been taught. And so when you started off, um, how did you, I guess, how did you start to navigate that? So you're starting off with like English literature, not seeing yourself. Um, And then what were some of the resources that you pulled in order to come here to do what you want to do, right? Like what were the people that helped or maybe people who, did, who didn't help, <laughs> you know, who yeah. were just like, you know, maybe you're looking, cause sometimes, you know, you go in with your research and they're like, no, you're not, you're trying to see what you're trying to find um, as yes, opposed to what, what the scholarship is trying to tell you. And I think you yeah. see both, um, but yeah, tell us a little about that. Yeah, so I I received my bachelor's and I, I I received my bachelor's in this very classical training of English literature, reading Homer, reading the Iliad, reading all these classical texts, and and then I said, okay, you know, I, I did what you wanted me to do. I, I learned your history, I learned everything. Now now it's my turn. And so then I, I went into the masters and really tried to dig, really tried to. Uh, take only ethnic studies courses, only Chicano studies courses, only African American literature courses. But e- even even within these courses, there there were issues. And so I told my professor, my Chicano studies professor, during my master's program, I want to learn more about Afro Mexican literature. And if it's not there, 
I, it is there. I know it's there. Um, and I just, I knew I want to learn more about it. And he said, there's nothing there. There's nothing there. If you're, if you're going to do Chicano studies, you have to stick to the formula. Mm. And I said, okay, thank you for your time. Um, I'm going to ask somebody else. And so I asked other professors. I had another professor tell me, well, your grades aren't really that good. I don't think you're going to get into grad school. Okay, well, are you still going to write me your letter of recommendation? Yes, I will. All right, that's fine. That's all I needed to hear. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and, then, um, and then also another professor who knew that I really wanted to continue pursuing this. And he wasn't even remotely in my field. He, he was doing like medieval literature. He was the most supportive of me. He was like, this sounds amazing. Oh, yeah, totally. I will write your letter of recommendation. And so he wrote me my letter of recommendation. And then also my, because um, I, I went actually to two master's programs. I, I started in one. I transferred out of that one and, and finished in another one. So my, uh, my professor for my first master's program at Cal Poly was the most supportive was the, the most supportive and really said, we really need Chicanas and we really need la Latinas in education because he noted that need. He noticed that. He said, you know, I can, he said, as a white man, I can only do so much. Yeah. We all need to <laughs> be in these spaces. He said, I, I can only do so much. So he was really rooting for me. And mm -hmm. um, and then once I got here to the University of Maryland, it, it was like, okay, now, now I, you know, I paid my dues. I did my bachelor's. I did my master's. Now I get to study what I want to study. And still it was an, an uphill battle. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. That's, um, yeah, it's, it's interesting. I like the, this whole notion of like, okay, I paid my dues and I studied everything you want me to study. Um, mm -hmm. And I, I want to know more of your thoughts on this because I know like the conversation is, I don't, I'm right in the middle of it because I am tired of like, okay, like you have to learn all these French people before you can get to like, <laughs> you know, like the, the Francophone sub-Saharan. Um, and so there's one side of the argument where, you know, some scholars are like, well, you have to know, like you have to know the whole vast corpus so that you can fill in the, so you know where the gaps in, so you can fill in the gaps. And then there's the other side of some scholars who are like, no, you don't have to know the vast corpus. You can start where you want to start. So mm -hmm. you can start with Chicanos. You can start with Chicana. You can start with Black, and then you can go. <laughs> and then from there, um, make Blackness your starting point. Um, mm -hmm. I like to make Blackness my starting point, you know. But then when you read some of these Black works, they're in dialogue with the canon. And mm -hmm. so it. I wonder... So I wonder, it's like, okay, so how do we make sure we value both, but still not always just start with the canon and then bring in, you know, and then you bring in the other people. <laughs> that's because sometimes that's how these trainings are. Um, like you said, the formal training is you have to study Homer and Iliad and Thor, and then you get to, okay, mm -hmm. what, so who are, can we start off with the, <laughs> you know, with the people yeah. who, who are at the, actually at the center of this? Yeah, because when you look at it, uh, when you look at the history of the university, it wasn't meant for people of color. People of color were not going to school. So, of course, it is centered on white writers, on white theories of, of writing. And 
so now now that you say that like i thought i had to pay my dues but i'm like are you are y'all gonna learn afro-mexican history are y'all like so i'm i'm always paying i'm always paying and reading and, and learning and um of course i get something out of it i got to read the iliad but when i wonder oh my I, you know i could have been reading this for my research i could have been reading that so yeah that's definitely something that needs to be addressed that we need to move away from uh move move away from this colonial way of organizing literature of, of organizing our ways of thinking yeah and so you know when we're doing research we're always told to you know be careful of being like too subjective because that you know kind of taints your <laughs> credibility and the mm -hmm. such but what do you think like what are your thoughts around subjectivity and objectivity when we're doing our research and how do you think bringing in your own positionality and subjectivity into your work can actually inform um, your research and it doesn't take away from you know instead of having that critical distance yeah no definitely I don't um, of course we have to be you know objective we can't impose our own life experiences and our own viewpoints onto our research um, but I don't see any problem with bringing in our own experiences to, to add, to enhance to the research that is there. Yeah. Because even when I did my own studies in Afro-Mexican literature, I, I had to do away with many of the things that I thought were, were not offensive or, or acceptable. I learned that, oh, okay, this is actually, I, I can't say this. This is. Because as much as I am Afro Mexican, I I don't like I don't live this black experience because I I'm phenotypically um, removed from that. So I do have some safety that people who do look more Afro Mexican don't have. Like when I'm in Mexico, nobody stops me in the middle of the street and asks me for my passport or or tell me where I'm from. I'm just accepted. Yeah. And so also, like, I understand that I can, you know, I can say, yeah, I'm Afro-Mexican and I, I ride for this literature. I ride for this theory. But <laughs> I also have to take a step back and acknowledge my own privilege and and give space to people who have an access accessibilities that I, I don't have just because I'm not I'm not living in the I'm, I don't live in Guerrero. I don't live in Oaxaca. I live in Switzerland. I, I'm like I'm way removed from Mexico or the United States. Hmm. Yeah, that those are really good points. Can you talk a little bit more about this, like having to be aware uh, when researchers are doing research in spaces that they're not in? Um, because, you know, sometimes they'll say like, well, okay, like you're Mexican, like you have an in. <laughs> um, you can, like it's easier for you to do this research as if it's... Um, I don't know, as if it's like it's going to be effortless for you, like you won't have any mm -hmm. trouble that you may face. So like, just because you're Mexican doesn't mean that it's going to be easier for you to do research in Mexico, you know, and I, it's yeah. like, there's this assumption sometimes and it's like, no, you have to do just as much work. Yes. And yes. also the work in being respectful and not just exploiting and like, going. it's like, no, that's not what this is. <laughs> Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I always try to be, yeah, because also, I, I guess I, I was also 
I, I really did come in thinking, well, I'm Mexican. I'm just going to go in there and, and do my research and, and, you know, get the to-do list done. And it was when I was in Mexico that I realized that I, I do have some privilege that others don't have. And so, yeah, it, it is big. Like, even though, you know, I'm, I'm Mexican American, I do have the privilege. I'm, I'm an American scholar. I, I'm coming from the United States to a country that is constantly migrating over to the United States. So I have all these privileges that I have to be aware, aware of and also watch out for, because when I'm doing interviews, I, I, I notice some things. I notice, oh, okay, they, they don't want to say that around me or they, so yeah, it's, that's important. It's, it's like, you're not, because uh, that's the, that's the Chicano dilemma. You're never, you're never American enough. And you're never Mexican enough. <laughs> yeah. It's, I, I can definitely understand. So like when I do Senegalese literature, I had the same thing. I was like, okay, I've paid my dues. <laughs> like when I got into the PhD, I was like, I, I paid my dues. I'm here to do what I need to do. And then I was like, oh, actually, wait a minute. Like, let me check myself. And I think that's the thing. It's like, I have to check myself and make sure I can't just go in there and like either ravage things out and be like, oh, let me just translate this or um and like what you were just talking about like when you get these cues of like this shouldn't be out there or maybe we won't tell you half of this or um Mm -hmm. that's like it's very it would be such an interesting study to see like Mm -hmm. when when scholars go back like scholars who doing research in their own countries like the the cues that they get, <laughs> um, you know, these different cues of like, you're neither here, you're neither there, like, where do you belong sort of dilemma. But <laughs> Yeah, because I, I am aware that because I, for example, I'm not a white man, I'm not a white man going down to a predominantly <laughs> Afro Mexican community. And mm-hmm. so I, I also have privilege in that sense that when I go to Mexico, I'm wearing a t-shirt and jeans and a backpack. Mm-hmm. I blend right in. Like, you can now point me out. <laughs> like, where's Nancy? I, I blend in with everyone else. And mm-hmm. so when I go and I do my research, there's almost like, wait, why do we have to tell you this? Or like, <laughs> you should already know. You should... <laughs> and then I'll be like, oh, I'm doing research for a school project. And they're like, oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> if it's for school, we'll help you. <laughs> That's, um, yeah. Yeah, that's, those are those are super interesting things. Um, so what were some of the things that so far, like, you know, you mentioned one of, you know, reflecting on how you approach research that like something that transformed you, but what's something else that while you've been um, pursuing this degree that's transformed you in, in a way that you, you didn't imagine, whether it was for good <laughs> or, you know, worse, where you were just like, this is actually, um, yeah, because mm-hmm. th- these spaces have a, has a transformational effect sometimes. Yeah, definitely. I, I, oh my God, I have learned so much in this PhD program. I, I, for me, I, I learned other ways of thinking, other, for example, that don't have to do with Chicanismo, that don't have to do with Mestizaje, that don't have to do with, with Latin America, but seeing how West African concepts and ways of knowledge influence Afro-diasporic people in Mexico. That has been very transformative for me. 
if we can create this dialogue between West African storytelling traditions, West and Central African storytelling traditions and Mexican and Afro-Mexican storytelling traditions, I think we can get so much out of it. Um, so that, that has helped me a lot. Yeah, but it didn't come from me. Like it was literally my advisor, Dr. Merrill Collins, telling me, you need to read these West African theories. You need to um, look at, at the diaspora, at the exchange of knowledge. And that to me has been so transformative. And in yeah. a good way, of course. <laughs> That's, um, I think I, I learned about a little bit about that when I first read um, Gloria Andaluza. And I was just like, "What? There's this?" <laughs> I mean, it was it was only it was in a colloquium theory class um, here at Maryland, and I was like, "Oh, I've never read this before," um, because, like you said, I like anti blackness is a real thing, and it's just suppressed. So I didn't think like I was like, "So West African traditions, like where I'm coming from, is like also like there's like this reminiscent." Um, so that was very interesting to to see. But I just, I think I love the links you can make in PhD programs, links that you just never thought were possible. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because I, I feel like once I got to the PhD, I, I was very stubborn and like, no, 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 I am going to learn what I, I came here to learn. It's, it's my time. <laughs> I gave you all six years. These next six years are mine. <laughs> yes. So I just, because, you know, that takes effort on your part to, like, open up and make room for those connections. So how did you go, how did you go about that um, to, like, be open to make those connections? I, for me, I really felt like I had no choice. Because in order, because um, the, if you read Afro-Mexican literature with the current mythologies that we have in Chicano studies, the only thing, the only, the only argument that we can come up with is that it is a, it is a Afro-Mexican folklore and poetry is a hybrid of Spanish, European, and Native American uh, folk storytelling traditions, and that's mm. it. And we don't, we don't advance past that. So it, it was really necessary for me to look beyond that, look beyond the, the formula. Yeah, that's yeah, that's that's very important to to look and. Going back to your other professor who said, well, this is the formula. It's like you can see like over the past, you know, how, however many years you've been doing this, that like, mm -hmm. no, you don't, ha you don't have to look at the formula as a way of like getting through. <laughs> yeah. And also, um, also, I'm also the kind of person that, for example, I don't, I never thought I would be writing a dissertation on poetry. Because mm. I always thought poetry was so hard. I'm like, oh my god, this is so like I when I read Homer or you know when I read Shakespeare, all the things that you can pull out of a poem. I was like, I'm never gonna study poetry. This <laughs> is a lot. like I I like short stories. I like novels. That's my genre. But I feel that once you once you go into a field, you have to follow it. Follow it wherever it takes you. Even even if it takes you to you know a small remote town in the middle of Oaxaca that's where that's where the research is taking you yeah yeah yeah, oh, that's, yeah that's a really good advice um so while you've been here what were some of the things that or resources people that have helped you persist forward um you know while you're pursuing a PhD it's not the easiest thing <laughs> but what yeah. do you think you know that's that 
some things that have helped you? Well, it definitely helps that I'm still friends with my mentors from my master's program at Cal Poly San Luis Obispo. And so I, I um, for example, Jose Navarro, he's on my dissertation committee right now. And I love to just be able to call him and talk about literature, go to his house. Um, and, and we talk about this literature and I say, hey, you know, we're really missing this in Chicano literature. And he can look me in the eye and say, yeah, somebody has to write about it. And that is so affirming. That is so, that makes me so happy. Yeah. And then to have like professors, like for example, Meryl and Ryan tell me, oh, this, this is a very interesting research topic. Totally. You have our blessing to go and whatever funds you need, we got you. I, that, that is, has been so helpful to me. Yeah, that's yeah, that's beautiful. When you have like the right committee that fat because they for me they I think I was thinking about it this weekend. It's kind of like they end up being your second set of parents. <laughs> you know, that just that's like your academic second set of parents would and they'll also look out for you if they see because if you know they care for you as a person. Um, but it means a lot when you go into a program. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. It, it, it does definitely feels that way. Romero and Ryan, they're like my academic parents. <laughs> mm-hmm. They're a little yeah. hands off sometimes, which is, you know, they're just like, okay, yeah. like, you're not fully my child, but, you know. <laughs> like, yes. <laughs> and what yeah, do you... I, I, have free, I have freedom within this relationship, too, though. Yeah. So that's <laughs> and that's, it's always helpful. It's, those are the type of parents I like. <laughs> yes, yeah. yeah, we don't need micromanagement. God, oh no. no, that those are that's <laughs> stressful. <laughs> and you know, while you're in this program, what do you think is something that um, students still need in this spaces? Um, yeah, what do you think that's lacking in either resources or something that could really help graduate students um, pursue their research and degree? Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I remember when there there's still this very classical approach to uh, there's still this very classical approach. I remember taking courses and and kind of feeling like, oh, man, I, I still have to pay my dues. I still have to pay my dues. When is this going to be over? But thankfully, I, I'm in comp lit. So it was one year of coursework and that's it. But still, I felt um like I really had to advocate for myself. For example, when you're right, when you're in complet, you have to take courses in another department that's not the English department. I, I took courses in the Spanish department. And when I told my Spanish professors, hey, look, this is what I want to focus on. I want to focus on Afro-Mexican literature. It's like, oh, well, who's going to teach you that? We have a Cuban professor, an Argentinian professor. Mm. <laughs> You're going to have to find that somewhere else or you're going to have to come back and teach that at some other place. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It, it can definitely be, um, yeah, when you're looking to, to get that specific thing, it's like you have to yeah, find that who can help you to do that, definitely. Yeah, it's really hard to find somebody who, because there there's Afro-diasporic studies in the Americas and then there's Afro-Mexican studies that is very niche a very niche group. Yeah. yeah. 
that's yes. that's definitely true so um i think that's would be like your call would be like well if uh, you couldn't find anyone but then maybe that's there for you to teach so <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah so um I think also because when I was at the Latin American Studies program, we had a mentorship program with uh, students who were first gen, fresh out of high school, and they had so many ideas. They had so many ideas that they thought were interesting, but they couldn't find people to help them with their projects. And so then they would just give up and, and do like a traditional, a traditional mm -hmm. bachelor's thesis. And so I do notice that because it is tiring. It is tiring to always fight, to always fight and always have to ask and it's it's not easy so i think that, that would be it nice would be, it would be helpful to like or at least they could help you point to, point you in the right direction of someone who could do that as a way of um just combating you know this well we don't know where to, where to have it in the, like for it to for the road to just stop there yeah I definitely would love to see more. We not that we don't do it. Like for example, I'm in I'm in Europe because we do have a partnership with Germany, the Teach at Two Minute program. Um, but I really would love to see. I I would hope that it would be easier to collaborate with other researchers, because even when I brought on my my professor from from Cal Poly San Luis Obispo and I asked him if he could be on my committee, when I wanted him. It, we have to go through paperwork after paperwork after paperwork. Yeah. I wish that like the way that it's so easy to get a book from the university of Michigan, we can have a scholar from <laughs> Michigan. <laughs> like, okay. This student is requesting your expertise. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that would be really cool. <laughs> yeah. yeah Cause I'm like, we're part of the big 10. It should be, we should be big 10, everything, mm -hmm. you know, share our professors. Like we share our books. <laughs> that, that's actually a pretty good request we'll see we'll see if how that goes we'll put that wish out there um <laughs> and yeah I think it would be it would be nice to have like a sort of like exchange a fluid exchange mm -hmm. and I understand of course professors have their commitments so they're just like okay I signed up for one university not 10 but <laughs> some sort of exchange and like a dialogue um, that could that could help so. yeah because it's like for me it's like, well I'm just gonna fight that's like always been my attitude someone's gonna tell me yes eventually someone's gonna tell me yes but when I was within this last program I did notice that some of these students already they feel uh they feel like they don't belong here because they're first gen and they're, none, no one in their family has gone to college. And, and then they bring in a research topic that is so out of this world, so, so out of bounds of how we think in academia. And then they're told no, and that reinforces the notion that they don't belong here. Yeah. So, yeah, that, that's a problem, that's for sure. Um, but yeah, so luckily there's still some professors who are willing to extend um, and I'm, I'm looking forward to the new generation of scholars who hopefully, if we've gone through it, then we can do better. So Yeah, <laughs> definitely. Yeah, because I, I definitely do see that change in, especially in my field in Chicano studies, where there are many scholars in literature and photography and anthropology who are rejecting the formula 
for saying I, I don't have to work. I don't have to think like this. They're Asian. They're Asian Mexicans. They're Afro Mexicans. They're Lebanese Mexicans. And to think more to think more of Mexico as a place that has always been multicultural with multiple histories and diasporas. And I love that. I'm very excited for the next 20 years. If, if God, you know, allows me to live that long. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's, that's definitely going to be, um, yeah. it's going to be interesting to see how academia, and as long as we keep fighting and pushing, I think that's going to be it. Mm-hmm. And, <laughs> and so while you've been going through this, is there, has there been a specific or a piece of art that's lifted your spirits, whether it was a song, um, a book, a piece of anything that kind of recentered you? Yes, definitely. You have the um, biggest smile on your face. No one can yeah, see this, yeah. but I can. <laughs> yeah, I definitely, I'm a big fan of Maya Angelou. I'm a Maya Angelou stan. And I, even though I told you I don't like poetry, I do like her poetry. Mm. And so I, before I learned to love poetry and all its forms, Maya Angelou is the one who taught me to love poetry. Yeah. Her poem, And Still I Rise. I love that poem. Yeah, yeah I remember <laughs> memorizing. That was the first poem I've ever memorized. Um, and I was, I think I was in like seventh grade because that was the only poem that ever resonated with me. Um, and I grew up in the Middle East. And I was very, so I was like, oh, who's this? <laughs> oh, yeah, that was such a good... <laughs> These Americans can write. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because they did, they did, but most of the literature was like very like British or like very national. But I was never never expanded too much. But that was that one that one poem. I was like, oh, okay, look at look at you guys. Um, but <laughs> look at the Lebanese teacher expanding the you know their curriculum a little bit. But <laughs> yeah. yeah, I love that poem. Whenever I'm having a bad day or. When I feel like someone's trying to knock me down and put me in my place, I I love that poem. I'm like, and I will rise, I will rise, I will rise. Like the dust, I will rise. <laughs> yes. And so what do you think, what's a piece of advice you would give to yourself right now and as a way to keep pushing on and pursuing your degree and hopefully two years from now four years from now you can always listen back and remember (laughs) I have to tell tell myself this every day because even right now I'm I'm in the thick of it I'm in the thick of it trying to finish this dissertation trying to get funding so that I can finish and I just uh, there's this um, also another poet, another poet that I can recommend, Ariana Brown. Uh, she says, "If you like, if you like the music, take the pain too." She says that. Mm-hmm. She says that so many people love jazz, so many people love blues, and she says, "If you love our music, take our pain too." She's an Afro Mexican poet. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I see this. You see this as growing pain, right? Right. We're in March. We have to deal with a little bit of rain to get a good cherry blossom. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's that's a good way of putting it. <laughs> yes. 
Yeah, because I, I really miss I really miss Maryland at this time of the year. It's so beautiful with all the cherry blossoms blooming around campus. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's a good piece of advice. So um always come back and re-listen to this <laughs> as a way of remembering um, you know, how this is going. Yes. That's pretty much it, but thank you so much for taking the time. Um, this has really been a good conversation, and you brought out some things for, I think, all of us to think about. <laughs> um, scholar exchange program, that would be pretty fun. <laughs> you know, like an expertise. <laughs> yeah, we already have a scholar exchange program with the University of Tübingen in Germany. So I'm like, if we're flying these professors out from Germany, we could definitely fly somebody out from Michigan. <laughs> yeah, definitely seeing how that yeah how that could be a little bit more easier. <laughs> yeah, they already have a visa or a passport, residency permit. We can totally. But thank you so much for joining, um, and good luck with the rest of your dissertation. Yeah. Rest of